Welcome to What About Us, a podcast that discusses how policies affect rural Tennesseans. I am the host, Sandra Rice. What About Us is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Go to tnholler.com to see all the other great podcasts and sign up for the newsletter. Listen to Rocky Top Sunrise this week. This is about the sunrise movement for climate change and the amazing things our youth and young adults are doing to save the planet so that they can live on it in the future. My guest today is Carol Abney, candidate for state representative, District 38. Welcome, Carol. Tell thanks. us, thanks for coming on today. Thank tell you us, so much for having me. Tell us a little about yourself and your district. Okay, so like you said, my name's Carol Abney. I'm a certified public accountant. I got my master's in business administration from Tennessee Tech. I was actually without a degree at 38 years old and I decided to go back to school and I started at Ball State Community College in Livingston and I just kept going. And, you know, one of the best things that I've ever done for myself is go back to school. Good. And, you know, after doing that, I live here in Clay County in Salina and in this state house district, we have five counties. We have Macon County, Clay County, North Ventress County. I split that with John Mark Wendell and then uh, Pickett County and Scott County. Mm -hmm. So the issue is we're in such a rural poverty stricken area that most people some people stay, but generally most people that go to school and get a degree and a designation, designation such as lawyer, CPA, stuff like that, you know, you leave and go somewhere else where the economy is better, where you can make more money. And I'm just, I'm not willing to leave my home. You know, I, I grew up here. I've always lived here. My husband has a garage here he's had for 30 years and I want to stay here and I want things to be better for us. You know, we've, we've lost, my hospital closed Friday and it had previously closed and opened back up, opened back up and then closed again. And another one of my counties, they've lost their rural hospital. So, and then another county, Scott County, their hospital's in trouble and struggling. So you're, you're looking at three hospitals that serve 65,000 people that those people don't have anywhere to go. So I'm determined to make a change here. So uh, your districts are in northern, right along the border with Kentucky, like kind of right up above Nashville. Is, is that about yeah. right? Okay. Yes, we're actually on the border. So um, Macon County, Pickett County, Clay County, and Scott County are on the Kentucky border. Okay. So my counties go across the top of Middle Tennessee. And they're all rural. Yes, yes, very rural. So we are... If you hear the phrase in the middle of nowhere, we are, we are actually, you are. Okay. <laughs> so, um, it's from Solana where I live. It is an hour to an urban area. Any way you go, it, it's, it's Macon County has a Walmart. So that's positive. Okay. <laughs> I think Fenders yeah. County has one too, but Solana where I live, it's very rural. So, okay. so you probably have a dozen dollar generals. We do. We have a lot of dollar general stores. <laughs> Okay, well, our topic today is economically distressed rural counties. And since I've been doing this podcast for rural Tennesseans for a, over a year, I thought I would look at Tennessee.gov's um, definition of a rural county. So 
um, it is, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, basically anything that's not urban. So you have to ask, so what is urban? So urban is 50,000 or more people with a density of 1,000 people per square mile and, uh, or, and or adjoining territory uh, with at least 500 persons per square mile. So rural counties have less than 50% of their population living in an urbanized area. Um, I live in Franklin County with Winchester. I, I don't know what their population is, but we're still rural. And it's most of Tennessee, most of Tennessee. So in July 2020, um, I noticed an article. Uh, Governor Lee was celebrating the economic improvement of four rural counties in, in the state of Tennessee, taking them off the list of counties regarding, regarded as economically distressed. So this is the bottom 10% of economic performers across the U.S. We had 15, uh, now 11. Uh, we have one in the top tier, which is Williamson County near Nashville, where Governor Lee lives and also Senator um, Marsha Blackburn. So it's interesting that Fentress is one of your counties that came off the list. And then two of your counties, Scott and Clay, are still on it. So you are very qualified to talk about this topic today. Um, so tell us more about, you know, an economically distressed county. Uh, what's the criteria? Who makes that decision, et cetera? So when I ran for office in 2018, I started really digging into what distressed counties were because like you said, we had three in this state house district, which, which there was only two state house districts in the state of Tennessee that had three distressed counties. And that was me and uh, District 41, which is, so the other district that Fentress County, like I have half of Fentress County and then the other half of Fentress County is in District 41. Okay. So those three distressed counties, in this one little area, you can look at the state map and you can see that this is just the most, you know, poverty stricken area in the state of Tennessee. And so collectively, the poverty rate in 2018 for my district was 30 okay. percent. So that has went down according to the state of Tennessee and ARC, which does the statistics. So that has went down to like 26% now. But when you that's talk the, And that's the Appalachian Regional Commission, ARC. Yes, okay. yes. And th they do an excellent job. There's a lot of data on their website and they've been doing this a long time. Um, I had emailed them and asked them about the formula. Uh, they update their information as they get it. So okay. I, I'm not really sure what determined the difference. But when you talk to people, they don't feel like their area is any better. I mean, Fentress County has lost their hospital, you know, so losing all those jobs, they lost over a hundred jobs. So it's difficult for me to understand how they can come out of the distress distinction, losing that many jobs in 2019. Like that doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. So um, the same way with Scott County, I know that Scott County, the same company owned Fentress County Hospital and Scott County Hospital. Oh, okay. They're still open in Scott County, but they've missed payroll. They've missed payroll taxes. A lot of people have quit. So still curious how that designation in Fentress County can change considering 
the hospital is in such bad, like they're closed in Fentress mm-hmm. County. So mm-hmm. I know that Clay County lost 146 jobs when our hospital closed last year mm-hmm. and actually it closed in 2018 and it had reopened. It, it's, it's been on and off, but um, I don't think that the hospitals are going to be steady until we expand Medicaid. They just can't make it in the rural areas. And you know, the hospitals in rural areas are not supposed to make money. They're there to provide services for an underserved population in rural Tennessee. That's mm-hmm. what they've always been for. And, you know, when it changed from uh, providing services to trying to make money, that has had a detrimental effect on the rural hospitals in Tennessee. I think we've lost 15. Does that sound right? Well, you, you know, um, it's hard because as time has gone on, um, they open and they close and they open and they close. So um, I just know that there's, you know, pretty consistently, what is it, maybe 20 or so that are financially, you know, unstable. Um, I think that if they were owned by the community or they were public, um, it they didn't have to make money. But now as we have this, you know, medico industrial complex, people will buy them up and uh, expect, a, a, you know, a profit. Yeah. And I'm not sure when they, you know, the other factor is, is when they reopen, if there's any modification in services. I think that to have, you know, primary care, mental health, uh, a, a little pediatrics you know ob is is the big thing is when um there's no ob services and that's something that's real you know that's when the babies want to come not they tell me that's not an eight to five monday through friday thing um so you know getting uh um you know women to care for those things so you know it rural hospitals i've worked with this for a long time i mean you can't always be doing appendectomies or gallbladder surgeries or something like that people tend not to go they want to go to a medical center but uh, so anyway we can talk about that too Uh, you know how do you keep a hospital that doesn't lose a lot of money but still has services for its surrounding citizens well yeah and that that was my point about like I don't understand how the economy can be so much better when the hospital is closed because besides providing the services the jobs that that (laughs) Mm-hmm. supplies for local people. I know everybody goes to school here in rural Tennessee for healthcare because they know they're going to have a job. Supposedly that was before mm-hmm. the last couple of years when so many hospitals have closed. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, I, it's, I fail to see how the economy can improve with the hospital and them losing so many jobs. And I know that they've had a factory Fitzgerald had a factory that closed in Fentress County so I, I don't know what the answer is to how it improved. I just know that the governor says that it came off the list. So. Okay. Okay. So that was one of my questions. Um, were resident, residents involved in the uh, improvement or, you know, can they feel it? So you're saying not so much. I'm aware. I've not had anybody tell me that they feel like their economy is better. So, okay. Okay. and I've asked a lot of people. So. Okay, so um, so the ARC, the Appalachian Regional Commission, looks at um, unemployment um, per capita market income. Would that be like businesses and okay? And, so per capita market income is per person. Okay. So per capita is per person, and market is um, that's minus the transfer payments such as welfare and things like that. Oh. So 
per capita income is just per person earned income, but okay. per capita market income is per person income minus the transfer payments, such as welfare, things like that. Okay. Okay. So without uh, assistance program. Yes. Okay. And, then and I think the other part is the poverty rate. So the three things is the per capita market income, the poverty rate, and what else did you say? Uh, unemployment. Unemployment. Yeah, that's it. Okay. So they don't really look at, well, they look at jobs. Okay. They don't really look at hospitals or healthcare availability, um, ex except you look at the job loss. And then schools, do they take that into? There was nothing listed about. Education? Okay. Okay. No. So, so what do you see as the barriers in a financially distressed uh, county? So when you talk about taxes, okay. of course, I'm a CPA, so that's the first thing that comes to my mind. But the barriers are that locally, governments have trouble running their utilities and things. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about schools, um, water systems, you know, all of these counties are strapped for tax money. Well, they try to make up the difference with raising uh, wheel taxes and property taxes. Okay. So I know that in, in Clay County, my county, the poverty rate right now is 26.3, I think, the last time I looked at it. Mm -hmm. So what that means is 26% of the people live on less than $11,000 a year, or uh, it's 11600 so right at $12,000. So that's, that's a lot of people. Yeah, that's not so, money. Right. So right now our will tax is a hundred dollars besides the fees to register your car. So we've already raised it twice to build a jail. So see, in a poverty stricken area, we're already getting a hundred dollar will tax on top of the fees. So it ends up being like a hundred and twenty something, thirty something just to go right just to go get your tags to drive your car every year. Well, okay. And you know, you what know, would that be in an urban area. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. Okay. I, I need to look at that. We need to look at Davidson County. I'm not sure. I do know that it feels like it disproportionately affects poor people okay. because a hundred, one hundred twenty dollars is a lot more money to somebody that doesn't have any money. Right. Right. Okay. Compared to somebody that's making good money. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is the property taxes have been raised. Like we have some of the highest property taxes. We have, we do have the highest sales tax. So our sales tax is 9.75% here. Mm -hmm. That's the highest you can go in the state. And then our property tax has just went up. So we pay some of the highest property taxes. So these local governments are trying to get the money that they're not getting from the state legislature in the budget. Okay. To run their utilities. So okay. if you don't have a good state representative that goes down there and fights for your house district, then you don't get the money you need for the services. For instance, I know, I think it's in Illinois or Iowa one, the state legislature provides money for transportation for schools to free up money in the budget. So the schools can use their money for different funds. Okay. You know, we're not doing anything like that here that I'm aware of in Tennessee. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be doing all we can do to help the local governments because at, you know, the state average poverty rate sixteen percent, so okay. we're almost double. Mm -hmm. Double and that. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it's so hard for like I feel bad for the local governments. the The school thing I was talking about, you could do like 
Clay County School shut down almost two years ago because of the school budget. Like they shut the doors. It was in court. Like people were suing Clay County to keep the school open and the county was saying, no, we don't have the money. We yeah, have the money. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's happening. And then when you talk about small businesses, you know, one of the difficulties I had, me and my husband, we built a new garage in 2017. We had a hard time finding a licensed contractor because nobody can afford to get their license. So they can't afford to meet the, the compliance, you know, the regulations to get their license. And we kept saying, well, we, you know, we're, we're building a metal building, so we have to have a licensed contractor or our liability insurance won't cover that. Mm-hmm. And we had trouble, like most of the people that we talked to, they didn't even have a contractor's license because it's so expensive. It's expensive to get it. I know, <laughs> that, I know that um, another candidate that I'm working with is, is uh, you know, against a, a, a proposed measure to take away licensing. And her point is, is that you still want licensed people. Yes. Yeah. You have to have licensed people. But they need to, but it's so expensive that it's difficult for people in these poverty-stricken areas to to meet the regulations. Mm-hmm. And so you have to find that balance to where I mean, people do not start small businesses because they just don't have the money. But they don't have the money to do what they need to do to have a small business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the healthcare. The healthcare is. We were talking about the hospitals earlier. You know. Not expanding Medicaid leaves over 300,000 people without insurance. You know, in my district, if, if collectively the poverty rate's 26, 27%, you know, those people are living on less than $11,000 a year. But then you have this gap where if they expand Medicaid, people that make 17000 and something per year would get Medicaid. Mm -hmm. so they would have insurance well now those people either pay for their insurance or they don't have insurance right you know and And it's very expensive very expensive unbelievable so your so your businesses that do open in your counties um you know they're minimum wage jobs uh no benefits there are several minimum wage jobs in this county that's one of the things that i talk about you know I'm all for raising minimum wage because Tennessee right now we don't have a minimum wage. We, we go by federal rates and I think it's seven twenty five. Mm-hmm. So there are some people that pay $8 an hour um, raising minimum wage or having a minimum wage in Tennessee at nine or $10 an hour, just the, the moral boost, okay. not even considering what it would cost, but the moral boost that it would give to people because there are some people that still pay minimum wage. And there are people here that work multiple jobs and our own food stamps. You know, if you work two jobs and you still qualify for food stamps, you're probably not making enough money. But at the same time, you don't want to hurt the small businesses. You don't want to make them have to let their employees go. So you have to be careful. You know, you you can't Mm -hmm. go too high. Yeah. But if everybody were making more then they would, and, you know, it's just this, it's a, it's a cycle. This is a cycle of poverty. Yeah. 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 You know, 725 in 2020, it, it sounds. Well, it hasn't crazy. raised in uh, 10 years. No. Huh? Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, any raise would be better than nothing, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. but. So, and tell, tell me a little bit about schools then in your counties, in your district. So schools, we have, they basically fundraise for their school supplies. And Mm -hmm. that's something that I just cannot 
wrap my head around. You know, mm -hmm. I, that was not a thing when I was in school. I graduated high school in 1990 and I, we didn't fundraise for school supplies. And now, you know, I'm constantly helping them and churches are helping. There's a lot of people helping, you know, the churches make backpacks and stuff and, and local businesses donate money. And I just feel like I can't believe that we're fundraising for our school supplies and worried about keeping our schools open, especially in rural Tennessee where kids, you know, that's where they, a lot of them eat their meals and, and, you know, get their primary education and, and socialize because I mean, we have some very remote areas in the County and, and kids like would never be around anybody if they didn't congregate at school. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. And so for the schools to be so important and us to still be having to fundraise for their school supplies, I, I just, I, I can't, I can't understand that. I think that our schools should be better funded. You know, the Tennessee state legislature had $600 million in budget surplus in 2019. Mm -hmm. And to have $600 million and have 15 distressed counties, which are the lowest 10% of economies in the nation. I, I just, I don't understand that. You know, they should have used some of that money, especially for rural education. Mm -hmm. I, I was going to ask if you could comment on the state budget changes. Um, That's something that we, we're not investing money in our people. Like the, the, the state budget, it seems like it's going for businesses and it's yes. not going for people. You know, I live in a rural area. We're fortunate. We have good uh, internet here. So oh, good. I for the kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because some places don't have that in Eastern mm -hmm. Tennessee. I know there's some other places, but we're fortunate. We have good internet, but you know, I've been trying to get people locally to um, invest in a remote workforce. Mm -hmm. Because I, I don't know, you know, they keep wanting to depend on manufacturers to come here and give people jobs. And I don't know that manufacturers will come here because we're poverty stricken. You know, we've got to have a skilled labor workforce. And in order to do that, we could train people to find remote jobs online. And that would also help our economy. Like that's the only thing that I can come up with that will actually give people jobs here. And, and then the other thing is growers. We, we have farmers, you know, we need mm -hmm. to give them jobs. So I'm all for legalizing medical marijuana. I think that the, that would give our farmers a crop mm -hmm. and, you know, alternative pain management and things like that. Cause we have a lot of opioid abuse, but it's mm -hmm. really difficult to try to, we've got to get somebody that's creative and that is willing to have new ideas in rural Tennessee, or we're going to stay the way we've been. Mm -hmm. So, and it's not going to get better with COVID. No. I, don't no. Even, I mean, it's, I don't even want to think about what's going to happen with these distressed counties when that rolls out. So our hospital closed last Friday and we have 84 cases today. Okay. And we have 7,500 people in this county. So that is an outrageous amount of COVID cases for this mm -hmm. county. Mm -hmm. And, um, Fortunately, knock on wood, nobody's, nobody's died from it yet, but I'm just hoping that we can get through it. How is the mask um, suggestion working in your counties? Um, I wear a mask. So people, there, it, both, there are some people that are totally against it, but it seems like the people that are so against it, they're politically motivated. 
And it, okay. it like a lot of people that are for wearing masks, they're not necessarily political motivated. They just don't want to get sick. Like, right. you know, I run, <laughs> yeah, I, I run my accounting firm. My husband runs his garage and we're over here. Like we, we will wear a mask. We don't want to get sick, you know? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. we're like trying to disinfect everything. Um, the only people that are really upset about it are, are ones that, obviously have not been sick yet because we've actually had a lot of people that's been sick here lately. So I think more people are starting to wear masks than they originally were. So that's good. Okay. Um, did you want to talk about uh, the hall tax as part of one of the things that was a revenue for money into the state legislature? And so interestingly, um, you have to file, I think the limit is 2,500 if you're a couple. So if you make over 2,500 in dividends or interest income, then you have to file a Tennessee state tax and you have to pay state tax on those dividends. Mm -hmm. So that's the hall tax. And normally people that draw extra interest or that get dividends are in upper income levels not lower income levels because people that are in lower income levels don't have savings accounts and they can't afford to buy a stock. So the Tennessee state legislature is doing away with the hall tax and phasing that out. And I don't have the number. There's a number of how much money we're going to lose over that. It was up in the millions of dollars. Really? Okay. And I, it makes no sense to me at all. Like I have no problem paying you know, a little extra tax on some interest money to help people. And personally, of course, I'm a certified public accountant, so I, I don't understand why they have voted down the hall tax. Like that makes no sense to me at all. Yeah. In the middle of a crisis. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, it, tell me what a regressive tax is. Our taxes are regressive in Tennessee. What does that mean? Oh, yes. So, so sales tax disproportionately affects poor people because they pay the same amount as like every income pays the same amount of sales tax. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about here in Tennessee, you know, we're paying, well, here in Clay County, we're paying 9.75% to eat, you know, when you go to the grocery store stuff. Of course, the people that are on welfare, I don't think they pay sales. Do they pay sales tax on food now? They didn't um, need yeah, to. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think they do. So in Kentucky, I do a lot of taxes in Kentucky too. And in Kentucky, there is, um, the state income tax is 6%. So you're talking about 6% income tax on the money that you make. Whereas in Tennessee, you're talking about 9.75% across the board. Right. Because we don't have an income tax. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So it disproportionately affects poor people because mm -hmm. like in Kentucky, the income tax, if you make less income, then you don't have to pay as much in taxes to the state income tax. Whereas in Tennessee, and I, I'm, I mean, I'm not advocating for a state income tax. I'm just talking about the difference between the two. You know, it, it's the people that the middle class seem to be taking up the slack. Right. And, and that's a going thing you know the middle class is is taking the hit and and i think that's one of the reasons that people are so upset in rural tennessee i mean i understand they're angry mm -hmm. and anger makes you tend to do things that you wouldn't normally do and we have a lot of angry people right now but you know we've got to find a way to help our middle class people because they're the ones that's really taking the hit for everybody what are they angry about um 
they're angry about their hospital closing. Okay. And they're angry about having to pay money for insurance and it's went up. It's more than it used to be. And they're angry that they can't go to their insurance agent that they've known for the last 20 years and still pay the same amount that they used to pay. And I mean, all those things are valid things to be angry about. Some people are angry that they have to drive two hours to get a decent job and, mm -hmm. and you know, or they're the angry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's there, it's valid concerns. Mm -hmm. um, it's just making this wave of, them doing things that they wouldn't normally do. So they think that the supporting unconventional uh, political motives is going to help them in some way. And, and, you know, it's not, but they think it is. So. Okay. okay. When you get to Nashville, what are you going to do? When I get to Nashville, I'm going to get more money in the state budget for this district. <laughs> and I'm also going to make sure that we get our hospitals open back up. Um, you know, I was very uh, vocal with a lot of help from a lot of friends about when they closed our hospital in 2018. Actually, they closed it. I think it was in uh, January 27, 2019. So the whole time I was running for office in 2018, I kept saying, oh, they're going to close our hospital. Well, then they said in January of 2019, we're closing the hospital March 1st. And I was very, very vocal about it. And we put so much pressure on Cookville Regional, which is who was closing the, our hospital in Salina, um, that they went out and they found a buyer. And that buyer actually reopened that hospital. And he's closed again. And so we need to expand Medicaid. But at the same time, I think I've proven to people here what you can do when people unite and they stand up and they fight for better. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to unite everybody and we're going to fight for better. Uh, and there's a lot of, you know, fine stories um, on the, on the government website about good practices. Uh, did you know that Scott County, um, your County had a wet weather, uh, a water bottle filling station program? Um, I did actually. Um, Renee Hoyos, I think I pronounced that correctly, was talking about she led the charge in a lot of counties having the water bottle. And yeah, yeah. we actually talked about doing that in Clay County, but there was some matching funds that we didn't have. Okay. So, so. that was a $46,000 um, project where the kids, um, they either had to buy soda if they wanted something to drink or, you know, water bottles lost and where you can, I think it provides the water bottle, but you can get it filled throughout the schools and, and throughout the community. So that was a nice thing. I don't know if that's going to pull Scott County out of, a, you know, yeah. that designation. Um, we still haven't figured out what Fentress did. Um, and then I, I thought it was interesting. Um, there was a story about Grundy County, which is right next to me. It is a 23% poverty rate uh, nationally. It's one of the poorest counties in the country but they have a um, silver bait agribusiness that's a worm farm mm -hmm. okay and they've done a lot of things um, with that and the poultry um, a, a poultry farm expanding that so I was reading that um, I did some volunteer work in Grundy County and I did have patients that worked at the worm farm well all this going into it creates about 10 jobs <laughs> 
So, and I know that my patients didn't have uh, insurance. There were no uh, health benefits and it was also very seasonal. So I'm not sure that that's going to be the um, answer to uh, Grundy County's um, distress county. So, so, you know, what I'm kind of saying is, is there's, there's some good things, um, some good stories, but it's not enough. And that right. we look at bigger things, you know, from the general assembly, you know, to look at our counties. It can't be a water bottle and a worm farm, you know, sprinkled here and there. So, and, and it's interesting that you say that. Here's one of the things that I always complain about, and this happens quite often. When you're talking about distressed counties, you know, we, we got a $100,000 grant facade grants in Clay County. Yes, yes, all kinds of those. Okay, so what that did was that that gave a grant to help the front of the facade of local businesses in downtown Salina. So it was like a Main Street type grant. And that was great. And I love that, you know, and you never want to criticize things like you're talking no. about and the facade. No, no. Huh? But when you're talking about $600 million in budget surplus, a $100,000 grant is hardly anything. And, and this happens to us all the time. You know, my state representative said, oh, you know, Macon County got $300,000 for their uh, water lines, to run water lines in Macon County. It's great that they got $300,000. There's two whole precincts in Macon County that does not have clean drinking water. Mm -hmm. There is a lady that said, well, I guess the governor's never had to save um, his shower water to flush his toilet with, or we wouldn't be sitting here without water. One lady said that her water was so bacteria infested that they told her not to even take a shower in it without mm -hmm. boiling it. Mm -hmm. okay. So $300,000, and I asked them, I said, well, how much is that going to help you? And they said, well, we can run a water line about a mile for $300,000. Okay. And, and, but you've got like two whole communities that don't have drinking water. Mm -hmm. So that is my grief with the state legislature. When you've got millions of dollars sitting unused, they, they had $600 million in budget surplus. There was $732 million in TANF funds, which was... Right federal funds allotted to assist needy families that they didn't use, mm -hmm. you know, that right there is over a billion dollars that they didn't use. And yeah. I'm sitting I here it's up to a billion. I, I think the budget allowed them to put even some more money in that rainy day fund. And like some people say, it's, it's, I think it's raining, you know, so we don't even have a daycare in Clay County. Okay. Nobody can afford to create one. I've been on the workforce development committee for the last couple of years and served as the chair of that committee in Clay County. And, you know, our barriers were supposed to be about creating a workforce. And we're sitting here talking about, we don't have a hospital. We don't have childcare. We don't have a daycare center. Like how, so, you know, our workforce development committee is out here trying to like do everything else because we don't even have the basics. Mm -hmm. to create the workforce. Mm -hmm. And then when you hear that $732 million to assist needy families to work sits in an account, it's very upsetting. Yes, it is. So, yeah. um, th that's, that's mainly, and it's so funny, uh, Gloria Johnson, state representative in uh, District Knoxville. 13, she's from Knoxville, yeah. She, I was talking to her and I said, I was talking about the budget and I said, the budget this and the budget that, and she was like, oh honey. She said, they don't use that budget. And I was like, what do you mean they don't use that budget? 
And she said, well, she said the surplus is like a slush fund. Yeah. So they just take the surplus money and that's how all these grants, whoever they want to give it to, they do. And who they don't, they don't. And that's so unfair to our rural counties. That's just so unfair. Well, I always called it a slush fund and I'm not an accountant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We don't like the word slush fund. Let me see if I can draw a conclusion um, to this. I've, I've somehow lost my timer. I don't know how long we've been chatting, but um, kind of my soapbox today is who to blame because I've heard this a couple times in the last month. Uh, we're blaming China still for the virus, but we can also blame immigrants, illegals, protesters, the poor. Um, but in reality, the things we suffer from can be traced to the policies that our elected officials enact and to the people that elected them. That's us. We need to hold ourselves accountable and them accountable. For example, no hospitals, no teachers. Who's your rep, your senator? What seems to be important to them and the people that they work with in Nashville and the General Assembly? So. Um, it's it's up to up to us, and I was disappointed to hear that people are looking at conspiracy theories and different things like that. But um, but you know, um, I do this podcast because I hope people will listen and um, think uh, about things. You know, things aren't fine. We're kind of in a f- everything is fine mentality. The stock market's improving. There's a little less than a million employment claims. There's one less distressed, you know, rural county, but are you fine? Are your family neighbors fine? A lot of people don't have money in stocks, right? Um, We have 167,000 dead, including 600 healthcare workers and counting. People are running out of money. Jobs aren't coming back. People are going to be evicted from their homes pretty soon. So things are not fine. I hate to be Debbie Downer, but we need um, we need leaders that are realistic, informed, and truthful um, that want to bring us together, like you said. Bring us together to work towards fine for everyone. So those are my so those are my conclusions today. Anything to add, Carol? Just I agree. A hundred percent. I agree. It's not fine and it's not going to be fine and it's going to take some work to get it to where it's fine, but we can do it. We can do it together. I know we can. I know too. Tell us how we can learn more about your campaign and where your donate button is located. You can go to my website. It's adney4tn.com, A-B-N-E-Y-F-O-R-T-N.com. At the very top, there's a donate button. I would truly appreciate it. Um, I'm going to win this time um, because we need hospitals and Mm -hmm. we've got to have somebody that will fight for rural Tennesseans and I'm that person. So um, I would appreciate any and all support. I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and I'm very loud about what we need and, you know, we're going to fight for it. All right. Good. Thanks, everyone, for listening to What About Us. Um, take, take a listen to the other podcasts and the Tennessee Holler Network. Also, um, sign up for their newsletter and support. They're going to keep you informed uh, in, in um, a fun, kind of a fun way to let you know what's uh, going on uh, politically uh, in, um, 
in Tennessee in the country. So I got a I got an issue this morning, and uh, you're laughing while you're crying with Tennessee Howler. <laughs> Goodbye, Carol. Good luck, and thank you so much. Thank you for having me.